What up, what up, what up, Creation Grounds peeps. This is episode 46 and I'm your host, Aaron Lloyd. Before I get into our next brilliant guest, I want to encourage you to like, share, subscribe, tell anybody who you think will gather some value from it, be entertained, educated, and all of that. My next guest is Dale Rose. Mr. Rose is a teacher of mine who I had while I was at UConn and was a brilliant, influential force in my growth as an actor. I had him for two out of the four years that I was at UConn and um, had the pleasure of being directed by him in several other productions. He is an artistic giant. I really like his artistic sensibilities. He is super knowledgeable, uh, a goldmine of just craft and, and theater and just 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 growing as an actor. Um, I feel enriched and enlightened anytime I talk to him about just in terms of my own artistic sensibilities. And I, I pray that after listening to this episode, you'll see that he can do the same for you. In this episode, he talks about craft. How do you study and become a better actor during the pandemic? How, how, what, how do you how do you explore yourself during this time to to get better? He talks about Stanislavski, and if you don't know who that is, you'll know after this episode why he was important to the craft and to acting and things like that. He talks about some things that have shaped him in his life and influenced his life and, and books that he shared and read and, and plays and movies that have moved him. This episode is great. I know you're going to enjoy it. Enjoy this episode with Dale Rose. I'm very excited to welcome a dope professor I had at UConn. Taught me a lot of what I know about acting. Helped me get dive into the craft, Stanislavski, and all this kind of stuff. Mr. Dale Rose. What up, Dale? Hello, hello. <laughs> where, where were you born, Dale? Uh, I was born in Detroit. Dope. Um, and I grew up south of Detroit uh, on a farm, uh, which I do think was enormously valuable for me. <laughs> Uh, as far as something we might go into, uh, it was a great place to uh, use your imagination. Beautiful. So, yeah, yeah. And when, w- tell me about the day that you discovered your passion for the arts. So you grew up in Detroit. It's very kind of, I guess the imagination was part of it. But what, what drew you to the arts? Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I know that there were incidents that were interesting to me that piqued my curiosity or did something either to my heart, my mind, my imagination. Uh, and, uh, and I think I was benefit, it was beneficial that, uh, it was, we had a small school and we would do road trips, you know, or basically go to Detroit. And I remember one time, um, going to see, and I was in grade school, going to see Charles Lawton, an actor from a long time ago. Yeah, I don't recognize uh, what him. he was doing at the Ethel Ford uh, Auditorium. He was doing a one-man show in which um, I think I had already seen him in the old 1930s Hunchback of Notre Dame. Wow. Uh, so that, my, I knew that he had done film. This guy walks on the stage carrying a huge stack of books and um, and drops one purposely and looks at us at the audience looks at the stack in his hands looks at the one on the floor and then all of these in his hands just like explode out of his hands and he bends down grabs the book on the floor 
opens it to a certain page and starts to read. Wow. And that, see, I got goosebumps right now, <laughs> recalling it. And suddenly the spoken word became so exciting. Uh, he read stuff from Moby Dick. He read stuff from uh, uh, some poems, etc. And I just, as a kid, was mesmerized because I hadn't ever heard someone speak text mm-hmm. to my knowledge. Um, and I would say that uh, uh, later when I was in high school, uh, there was a lot of theater activity going on in Detroit. And there was a new theater at that time called the Vanguard Theater. And their first production was Pierre Gint. Mm-hmm. And there were, I mean, they had ladders. That was about it as far as the set goes. I just was agog. Uh, and I know it was over three hours long and everything and, you know, and blah, blah, blah. I just went, wow, I have no idea what this is, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I, I had done some plays uh, in drama class or, or the high school, but I was going to be a veterinarian. That's a big leap. And that, that was my goal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But those, so it's it's little things like that that were suddenly very, um, piqued me as far as there's another kind of world than what I knew being on the farm. And uh, once I went to college, I think that, uh, and couldn't handle the math. So, <laughs> so I went from there to psychology and, and, and child psychology and speech therapy and then into theater and dance. And um, uh, I think I found my voice, so to speak, through dance because I found the physical expression far more potent than the spoken word. And... Uh, and I think that as I matured, to be able to bring those together about what, you know, uh, as, as you may recall when I said in John, and, and uh, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. That is my mantra. Yeah. So those things came out of there. And then there were other things that sort of helped me focus on things that I wanted to do, but... Those would be the initial ones. Those two. That's amazing, man. And who is Stanislavski? Who is he and why is he important? Well, um, <laughs> he's probably now, what, what do you, well, he, you know, the terminology is the father of uh, modern acting or modern drama. Um, and probably, probably the great, great grandfather of modern acting and modern drama. Um, but in 1898, he had had already formed the Moscow Art Theater and wanted to find how to put on stage what would be truthful as opposed to a lot of things like sawing at the air and da 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 da. What is truth? How do we convey truth uh, both from an inner emotional life from the physical being, if I'm a peasant or I'm a king or whatever I am, and what 
what are the tools that one can explore in order to allow that to happen. Um, and and so the, the first play they did was uh, the was the um, the seagull. So going with that, with the naturalism of uh, Chekhov, and continuing to explore what it is that makes a performance real. So. However, we've diverted from that, or various other teachers, etc. Mm-hmm. The the fundamental tools are still the ones that he explored, and of course, um, when he came to America for a short time and working with members of the group theater in the maybe the very early thirties, um, and then people like Stella Adler and um, uh, Bobby Lewis and uh, and um, Sanford Meisner went over to Russia to work with him some more, um, and Stella Adler came back, and it really changed how she worked as an actor, and um, and she was one of my teachers, so I'm one removed from Stanislavski from that standpoint. <laughs> That's know? incredible. But, but the whole thing is, and what's amazing is, is he never stopped searching with that elusive thing about what brings truth to a performance. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people think, oh, it's all that he was always about what's inside and how that's coming out. But that's not true, because often as he was exploring more and more his craft, it was also about how do we do this if we come from the outside? What is the outside of this character? And by exploring that physically, how do we start to tap into something deeper mm. as, as an emotional truth, an intellectual truth? How do we use the creative imagination to allow us allow you to do a Hamlet that would be far different than my Hamlet. Right. Because we're involved not just in our intellect, but with our creative imagination. I love that. And for you, what what play or role has impacted you the most and why? Mm. That, that's a toughie because I've lived a long life. <laughs> <laughs> what The first one um, on your mind. No, I have to. So I have to go way back again. Um, I think along that same time of what I mentioned earlier, um, I saw uh, the original production of A Raisin in the Sun wow. um, that Lloyd Richards directed before it went to Broadway in 58. Was that at Yale 19- Rep? Hmm? Was that at Yale Rep, the first one? No, no. This was, this was uh, at the Schubert Theater in Detroit. Oh, wow. Okay. It's a tour, a tour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was. It hadn't gone to Broadway yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and and uh, you know, like many of the theaters, it was an old um, kind of beautiful theater that doesn't exist anymore. But I remember I'm being in the could have been the second balcony, but maybe the first balcony. But I'm sitting there, and it's the only time 
uh, at least at that time and for many, many years after, that I the walls of the theater literally disappeared for me. You were in it. And I was in the younger household. Wow. And um, uh, it, it was uh, so overpowering. Um, and so, so um, right for for us living in Detroit, um, that it just uh, it was just awesome, and and it was my first uh, uh, opportunity to see Ruby D on stage. Wow, what a blessing, and, man! Which I then toured with her. I did not know so, this. You yeah, wait, yeah. wait, wait, Dale, 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 Dale. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Time out, time out, man. You worked with Ruby D. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know this. To, to in, in a touring production of Too Young to Be Young, Gifted and Black. I was the only white guy. <laughs> 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 That's still incredible, man. That's dope. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, what what are three? What are one to three books? that has greatly shaped your life or influenced your life? It could be an acting book or just a regular book, something that's really shaped you. Yeah, um, well, I would first have to say The Prophet by Gibran. I, I remember, though. Yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. It has book. always... Uh, uh, it has always brought me insight and comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, speaks so much to... A human condition and how we do or do not do things uh, in this world, uh, but what what would bring about a greater blessing to humanity. So mm-hmm. that has always been uh, uh, foremost for me. Um, Peter Brooks' book, The Empty Space, mm-hmm. um, as I first started thinking about theater, that was very influential. Um, and and made me look back, uh, I, and which I do time and time again, on just the sense of what is sacred, what isn't, what's uh, you know what's happening commercially, etc. So, mm-hmm. and I guess I would have to say all of Shakespeare. Yeah, Shakespeare is uh, incredible. It's still... a toss up between the Bible and Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're kind of on the same plane, man. It's just, you know if we're, if we're being honest. <laughs> That's dope, but, man. But that's because I hated Shakespeare. Yeah. I just loathed it for the longest time uh, until probably the mid-70s. In fact, I, my first Hamlet was a send-up of, of Shakespeare because uh, I loathed the character. And <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> what shifted for you that you now, you loved it, I mean, you hated it? Well, what happened then... is that I, I started working with Kristen Linklater. Oh, yeah, yeah. And my whole thing that I loved before was the physicalization of a character. Mm-hmm. Um, is the physical life with the life and muscularity of the language became so exciting. And then it started to unlock the images that are there that I find uh, speaks, constantly speaks to us, uh, no matter who we are, what generation gender yeah color yeah yeah i don't i i know it's hard sometimes thinking well he's a dead white man mm-hmm. i just think that he's one of the great poets 
I think and so. I agree. His words speak. They sing, man. So when what I know you were a teacher at SMU, then you came to UConn. UConn is from where I know you. But when did you start teaching, and what what made you want to start teaching acting? I didn't. Um, <laughs> you didn't uh, want to teach. <laughs> I I was uh, I was working in uh, in Tampa, Florida, mm-hmm. and I uh, was teaching improv and I was teaching movement class. But I had had several. Sc- accident skiing and otherwise and so my knee was not good and i would like do something and i'd collapse and the whole class would collapse like that was part of the movement and i couldn't stand it anymore and i got a phone call from uh, jack clay at smu and said would i be interested in coming and teaching movement because the movement teacher is going to be on sabbatical and i says no i can't teach movement anymore i can't see my life in my face anymore and he says well what about teaching acting and i says well i've never taught acting he says and i says so i don't and i said no 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 my dear boy that's not what i've heard that's not what i've heard so i went in and i i did an interview or i i did a class in which all I was told later that Jack Clay came up to the other faculty. He's, what he's doing is just trying to test the students, right? That's what he's doing. I had no idea what I was doing. And uh, they hired me on the spot. And with the idea, they were sending me to New York, all expenses paid, to work with um, a teacher there uh, the summer before I would start to teach. Mm-hmm. And... Um, my theater in Tampa had just gotten a $75,000 grant. Mm-hmm. And so they were going to be fine for a while. And I thought, this is this is an adventure that I think I need to do. So that's what started it. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you started it, man. Um, I've been taught by you and genuinely learned a lot from you. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you. Um, and the gift that you've given to me. What What is... What is a bad recommendation in acting or teaching acting that you've heard over the years? Well, that's, that's tough. I, I, um, uh, when I was teaching in New York, there were a lot of gurus mm-hmm. who would say things like, no, 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 you have to stick with me and stay and take more of my classes before you even try something professionally. Mm-hmm. And that's a strange Bengali kind of thing, which I find creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that's not so much anymore. But um, I would say the one thing that to me is 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 um, uh, is is not a is um, is saying to someone you don't need technique, mm-hmm. just what you have, the raw material you have, that's going to do it for you. Now, and it's very likely it would for a while but without technique to be able to uh, explore and balance what you're trying to do so that it's not about eliminating the rawness or uh, what I would say is more of the emotional connection physical connection Mm -hmm. but it's about how do I guide it Mm -hmm. and so that for the stage it's repeatable Mm -hmm. Because I know too many performances where, in fact, somebody would say open night, oh, my God, that was just incredible, just incredible. Two nights later, he couldn't find it again. Right. Couldn't find that spirit. And, uh, you know, 
that was when audiences didn't pay so much. And and it, I think it's doubly true now on film. Yeah. Uh, wherever film is going to go, but um, there's there's no time to waste money. Yeah. So you need to have a sense of technique that um, is um, is balanced by your creativity in how you get under the skin of the character. In creating the skill out of it. How can an actor improve their craft while not actively in a show? So what if an actor's listening or somebody and they're like, well, I'm not currently in a show. How do I work my craft? I'm here by myself. Do I need a scene partner? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer, but how, how can an actor improve their craft even while not actively in a film, TV set, or on stage in rehearsals? Well, uh, I think that there are, are a number of things that can happen. And of course, um, I this has been a question that people have come to me about on, on, on Zoom, such and such. And that one thing is, in this time of solitude, um, you can do a greater internal search. Hmm. what's authentic in me what is it and dare yourself to go there Mm -hmm. what are the elements that really I've been either holding back or uh, I touch on them and I, 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 I freeze or something how do you start to breathe into that and let that go and nurture your work that's something you can do in solitude. Mm. And then in an ideal situation, maybe in some other building, so you're doing it on Zoom, you have a comrade who is also wanting to explore and then start exploring pieces of text that allow you to reveal as you're playing off of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, and it, it's not a substitute for touch, which is important. Mm. But how do you play off of each other as truthfully as you possibly can? There's nothing to lose yeah. by doing this because no one's watching. Right. Um, and the other thing that I think is really important is find a skill. Now, I'm not talking about being the best waiter. <laughs> find a skill like juggling mm-hmm. uh, magic tricks mm-hmm. uh, balancing other things that you can add to your portfolio mm-hmm. that you can use when the time is right and and that may be I mean it's actually in New York it's easier right now as long as like Ripley Greer is keeping the place clean, mm-hmm. then you can rent a place and go in there with the, some balls and juggle, and juggle, or learn an instrument that you haven't learned before. Take voice classes on Zoom. Yeah. So those are the things that it's it's in a way it's a less pressured time to um, expand who you are as a creative individual. I love that. I love that. Uh, and wh- what do you believe now that you didn't believe five years ago? Too much. <laughs> <laughs> like? Well, I, I, I 
believe one sad thing mm-hmm. in that it's much harder for an act for someone follow, uh, going into the acting profession without being independently wealthy wow because you have to do so much the kind of things i've just been sharing with you about are the things if you have and under the covid we have a kind of luxury of time mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's filling our belly right but but those people who have the luxury of time because either they have other incomes or family monies or their own monies or something that allows them if they're good at it to not have to worry about other things other than how do I become the best actor I can be and I find that that is so hard now so so very hard yeah I would agree with you man yeah Yeah, uh, it's um yeah it's definitely definitely how do you create some kind of financial independence so you could just truly focus on your craft right um, because I know those people who said, okay, I'm going to do this job and da-da-da-da-da, I'm just going to focus on this job. And then three years later, it's like, well, I think I've got the funds now. Now I'm rusty mm. as an actor. But I'd really be able to flip that pancake so well. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Um, tell me about a moment that that felt like a failure at the time, but later set you up for success. <laughs> oh, which one? Um, <laughs> uh, when I uh, when I was uh, younger, um, I got to play the son in um, the play. Uh, subject was roses about the mother and father and the sons coming back from the army, mm-hmm. and. Um, and it was so much, or at least as I projected it, my own life, that I just masturbated all over the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I felt so good. <laughs> yes, yes, tell him off, tell off the father. Wait a minute, mother, it's your fault, da 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 all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And my teacher at that time, <laughs> I'm kind of beaming, like, you know, and he's going, are you through? And I says, what do you mean? He says, did you get that out of your system so that you can really create? Well, I literally threw up. In that spot or like? Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I was in the dressing room and I, <laughs> it just, it so devastated me. Mm-hmm. And, and the first, the first reaction is I want to punch him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it was like, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was able to work on another play, uh, playing a, a college student. And um, uh, and uh, I got in, the, I was in the zone. Mm-hmm. With, and the same teacher then said, well, what was that like? And I says, well, that was acting I've never done it before because it felt so and, well yeah because I was there with my partner I was there with the circumstances this is what I need it was big for me in my life I had to do this mm-hmm. it was life or death 
Mm-hmm. It wasn't like histrionics or anything, but it was, I need, help me, help me, help me. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that, that really got me on the tra- trajectory of what it was to be truthful. Mm. It's not easy, man. You know, it's yeah. not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what is the last play or film that moved you? If Beale Street Could Talk, mm-hmm. and um, there's three of them, I think. If Beale Street Could Talk, um, Dark Water. I haven't seen that one. And, uh, with uh, Ruffalo. Uh, um, check it's, it out. it's about um, a small community that uh, has the DuPont factory there, and the, the poisons are getting into the water. This is a true story wow. for the creation of Teflon. Mm. And it's causing all sorts of cancers with the children and the parents and on and on. And they're just covering it up, covering it up, covering it up, covering up. So that really affected me in, in, a, in a life way. And then the other one would have been um, Ed Norton, um, uh, Motherless Brooklyn. Wow. He wrote that, didn't he? He was trying to get that he produced for a that, while. He wrote that, directed it, and? stars in it. And there are moments where I says, oh, this is excessive. And then I went, damn, damn, <laughs> he isn't really going all out in creating that character. Wow. Dope. And what book have you gifted the most in the past year? The Overstory by Richard Powers. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's incredible. Um, uh, I, I, was, I was very pleased that I saw in, in several weeks of the... Uh, New York Times book review that people like David Byrne and Jane Fonda all had said this is the book that has been most uh, rewarding in their reading recently. It has changed my relationship to trees. Uh, the overstory is what is it that's growing over us? Mm-hmm. And the writer is just, the language is beautiful and it's, it's the, the stories about, I think about seven different people and their relationship with things that are happening on the farm or in the city and all that, that have also to do with trees and how some force is sort of bringing them together, hopefully to stop the destruction of these living creatures, which are trees. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, I, I, I can't see a tree outside in my yard without thinking of it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It is. What? And you mentioned um, that you had an art. You you kind of had an art gallery prior to the pandemic. You had a collection of Kafka. Do you want to get into that a little bit and share share your artistic? Uh, sure. Um, yeah. Uh, if it's something you want to share. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I uh, I think in, in in it was like in ninth. 19- in 68 or something and I was visiting uh, a girlfriend in Berkeley, California I was in, coming from New York City and uh, and then on the, while well, I was waiting for her on the table or something in the living room was this sort of comic book um, that had strips in it from our crumb and I said wow this is weird, this is interesting and then went to eat and there was the in the um, Berkeley underground press there was another strip of his in there and then uh there was a little interview in which it says that he gave up his job 
at American Greetings in order to really say the things he wanted to say through uh, illustration for no money. Wow. <laughs> and I went, that's a fool. <laughs> <laughs> but then I go back to New York. He's on the he's on the cover of the uh, uh, East Village Other. I'm at the Chicago Convention in '68, and the Chicago paper has his stuff. I started collecting the comics, and then uh, later, uh, when some of his artwork started to go out into prints and bigger pieces, I started collecting some of those uh, that really spoke to me, mm-hmm. um, and um, and eventually. I didn't realize this, but, you know, I think I've said it a couple of years ago when, or two years ago when uh, 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 Barry Rosenberg said, Dale, you know, um, you were, you're very interested in our crumb. And through one thing or another, I says, well, you should see what I have. And so uh, I started gathering everything. Some of it was just like in storage. My ex-wife had some. And <laughs> I started gathering things. And, uh, and I went, oh, my God, I have a lot. I have a lot. And he came by and says, you've got a lot. <laughs> Let's do a gallery exhibition. Wow. So that's, that's how that came about. Cool. I ask all my guests this. Um, when you think of the word creative, and I'm, I'm really curious about your answer. When you think of the word creative, who's the first person that comes to mind to you and why? Wow, that's a. Uh, uh, you said that um, uh, uh, there's a duality here. Um, I would have to say that it's it, it could be John Cage or it could be Merce Cunningham. Okay, and why? Um, uh, John Cage because of his uh, of his creative sort of. Uh, I want to say a Zen kind of sense of what chance is mm-hmm. in creating something, and how do you don't ever think something's going to go wrong? It's going to be different, hmm. and how does it become different? Because you already have all of the work you've done up to that moment, and now you press a little button and it goes into a different direction. Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint, Merce coming. Merce Cunningham because they work in tandem with each other um, uh, was able to do the same thing in movement that just was um, awesome awesome beautiful man this has been a great I've really enjoyed talking to you and how can people coming towards the end how can people connect with you if uh, do you do you want to connect with people via email or or social media or well, I would say since I'm uh, not quite set up social media wise, um, <laughs> that one I would first say probably email is the best right now because mm-hmm. uh, I'm not quite sure how to do it. You can give me expertise later how to do it more on Facebook. But I also am being encouraged to set up a site uh, to just find out about people who might want to work on individual things right now. Uh, whether that's a particular role or just how just self-expression yeah so i think use the yukon email right now so can i share here right now so they hear yeah yeah so it's dale.rose at yukon.edu and dale is d a 
L-E dot Rose, R-O-S-E, at UConn.edu. Dale Rose, man, it's been beautiful. Um, talking to you, like, I'm just having, I expressed to you, like, when I asked you to come on the podcast, how just just being at UConn, being able to do what I love to do 24-7 in a conservatory setting, even back then I knew that after those four years, then you're in New York, you're paying bills, you don't have the luxury of doing that. So it's a blessing just listening to you and just reigniting that 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 sense of just artistry um, from talking to you right now. So I appreciate that. Well, and I thank you because it was like when you gave me the questions. There are times now one starts looking back on things that influenced them. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a very uh, a rich exploration. So I appreciate uh, you inviting me to do so. Dale Rose. <laughs>